Welcome to the Carveline Tech Service Podcast, the go-to industrial coatings podcast. Here are your hosts, Jack Walker and Paula Jamis. Welcome to another edition of the Carveline Tech Service Podcast. I'm Jack Walker. With me, as always, is the Director of Technical Service, and that's Paula Jamis. And Paul, it's just the two of us this week. How's it going, man? It's going pretty well, Jack. You know, on a totally side note, and I don't know why this popped into my head just now. I'm terrified. Yeah. I was watching one of our YouTube video podcasts, you know, the recording of us doing this. Vanity. Yeah. And yeah, a little plug there. <laughs> and I had captions running. I don't know if it's because I have them running on a lot of things, you know, or if it was something that it was doing, but they were auto-generated captions. And every time it says, Paula Jameis. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So I don't even have to try. You're Paula. No, No. I mean, to the point of, I was even researching how to fix automatic closed captioning. (laughs) You were that worried about it? No, but I just looked at it. I was just thinking, you know, if it is an easy fix, it would be good to fix it. Our name should at least be spelled right in the auto captioning of the thing, but it was, I couldn't find it that easy. Maybe it's something I self-consciously did. I just started Paula Jamis, <laughs> Paula, Paul, but maybe this time you'll have to watch at this minute, Mark, and I'll say Paul, a Jamis. They're still not going to get it right. No, but it'd be at least a Paul, a, my actual name. The last name will be spelled wrong, but you know. <laughs> So uh, if you guys want to talk to Paula, Paula, what are the three ways that they can get a hold of you? Yeah, they can reach us. The telephone numbers that all come into Carveline, 800-848-4645. You can hit the tech service button there. Fireproofing button also comes in here. We are the team that staffs the chat. So any of the time chat bubble pops up, it's the St. Louis guys here that are uh, manning that chat. And um, they can also reach us on the website, technicalservice at carveline.com. Any of those work and they all come to the same people. Perfect. And that's the email, technical service at carbaline.com. You said the website, but. Oh, yes. Yeah, it is email. <laughs> you can get it from the website. Yes, you can. So anyway, what we wanted to talk about today is uh, we've, we've been kind of having some uh, different conversations around the office lately. And one of them we thought was kind of a, a good one to bring onto the show. And that's uh, standardized tests for coatings for atmospheric service. So that's that's the battery of tests that you would see normally run on a coating that we're going to put into what we call atmospheric service. So I think the first thing that we should do is define what atmospheric service actually means. That's a really fancy word for saying exterior paint, right? You know, we're looking for something. It's not an immersion. It's not in chemical service. It's not in a highly industrial environment of any sort being exposed to chemicals or impact or abrasion. It is just exposed to the air we breathe. Basically areas that you don't have to have a respirator on to be working in the area, exposed to the sunlight typically doesn't have to be. Frequently, you're going to be exposed to rain or whatever your environmental conditions. Mm -hmm. If the weatherman is telling you about it, that's the kind of service area that we're talking about. Sure. And I think, you know, if you really want to get into the nitty gritty, our episode 130, 130, we talked about ISO 12944. And that particular specification does a really good job of breaking down the different types of environments that you can find coatings in, whether it's marine, rural, industrial, those kinds of things. And we do a really good job about talking about all of those different classifications 
yeah. uh, in that episode, the episode 130. Before we get into the actual tests, let's talk a little bit about the different style of coatings and type of coatings that we use in this service. Well, so in a lot of the cases, depending on the exposure, the environment, what you're looking for, these are on structural steel, you're going to see a lot of your traditional zinc epoxy urethane systems. You could also see epoxy in urethane systems. You may also just see epoxy systems and you could see direct to metal urethanes. Mm -hmm. And along with all those, you could also have your single pack coating systems being like a water-based systems or your alkyd systems. Basically, everything is going to be in this kind of environment. And it's really going to depend on what's the structure made out of as to what your first coat's going to be. Because usually that doesn't affect too much what your final coat is going to be. Once you get a primer or a primer and an intermediate, all of your finished coats can be the same. Because at that point, you're painting paint you're not painting that substrate anymore. Mm -hmm. So you've kind of lost a lot of those effects that you may have with it's concrete and you have to deal with outgassing or moisture, whatever those effects are with concrete or with steel. You don't have to worry about it flash rusting or undercut. You don't have to worry about any of that creeping that happens on the edges because you've put in a good primer system. So your top coats can be just about anything at that point. But traditionally, industrial coatings, we are talking about steel, Carbon steel, stainless steel, galvanizing, concrete. Yep. Those are the big things that we hit. I think that's a good point that you made there when you talked about the different systems because uh, depending on if you're at the top or the bottom of that system, you're going to get a different test run on it, like you said. You know, the, yep. the primers don't really need the UV testing that we're going to talk about. And I think that is one of the uh, things that is the biggest hassle when it comes to these atmospheric coatings is the sun. The giant ball of incandescent gas, a giant nuclear furnace, as uh, they might be giants taught us when we were children. Yep, yep. <laughs> and, you know, so if we're looking at things that are exposed to the sun, really what we're looking at is, is it going to cause it at the very microscopic surface level to break down. Typically, we refer to that as chalking. You may also hear it like down glossing if it's a high gloss product. And those things are going to be happening on the very surface level of the very top coat. Mm -hmm. It's not uncommon to see atmospheric coatings that have a, let, we're going to use the word with the phrase chalking. Typically, that's going to happen anywhere depending on the coating, the type of coating, the exposure, maybe less than a tenth of a mil per year, maybe up to a quarter of a mil per year. Those are kind of averages. It's going to change no matter, you know, wherever you're at in the world. If you're in a dry area that just gets a lot of sun, once you get that chalk layer, if it's not disturbed, it's going to sit and protect the underlying coating longer. So in that first year or two, you may get a ton of chalk developed, but then after that, it doesn't change anymore and you've really slowed that rate. If you're in an area that gets a lot of rain, you're going to wash that off a lot. Or if you have an area that gets a lot of contact where whether it's people's hands or, or machinery running on it and you're constantly cleaning off that layer of chalk, well, that's going to erode a little more. But generally speaking, you're in that tenth to a quarter of a mil per year for epoxy style coatings that are going to chalk. And I guess that's really the first time we've said that. Mm -hmm. Epoxies are really what we're talking about when we're talking about things that are going to chalk when they're exposed to sun, the UV rays. That's really what we're looking at. And that's why you're not really going to see epoxies used as the top coat out in atmospheric service unless people don't care about the aesthetics. It's the aesthetics that matter when we talk about epoxies because their corrosion protection isn't affected by that chalking for a very long time. Eventually, it will reach a point where it is chalked out and there isn't much of a uh, film left, but that takes years upon years upon years. So, 
really the only reason you top coat an epoxy is because it does that chalking and you, you need whatever you're painting it to look good. That's right. If you want it to be shiny, glossy, keep its color, not be distorted over time with the sun, like that car, you want that automotive kind of finish, whether it's that smooth is irrelevant to the fact of whether or not the paint is going to chalk or fade over time. So when we're looking at those urethanes, you know, there's several different kinds that we look at, whether you're looking at a polyaspartic style coating, standard urethane technology, polysiloxanes, fluorourethanes. There's a lot of different things, and not to mention all the hybrids mm-hmm. that live in this category. And each one has their own definition and defined set of testing. You know, we look at paint 36 as an SSPC standard that we use for urethane coatings we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. But if you get to polyaspartics, It's paint 39, right? Yeah. Right. Paint 39. It's a Mm -hmm. similar test, but it's got its own classification because things happen on a little different scale. So let's back that up just a little bit. When we talk about UV exposure and, you know, we talked about how the urethanes are usually the ones that don't chalk or anything. Well, how we're going to measure that in the lab is through QUV exposures. We have a, a machine, you know, you put in light bulbs and it creates QUV radiation. This would be a good spot to intersect that picture of what one of those looks like. Yeah. And then you put in the panels and you're able to give it a higher dose than it would normally out in the sun and measure how it is affected. And basically in all of these tests, it's something that I think we've talked about before is that they are going to give us a benchmark. That's a great phrase, Jack. To compare coatings to each other, right? They are trying to mimic real world, but nobody can really mimic real world perfectly because of all the different variations that you you said. I mean, hell, even on one tank, you can have a shady side. Yeah. And that shady side is going to stay a better color and glossier for longer than the one that gets the sun all day long. All right, Paul, we're going to talk a little bit about the Simstone System Selector Guide. This is a brand new document brought to you by Carboline to help you better navigate our secondary containment line. Paul, why don't you tell them a little bit about this guide? Yeah, so one of the really nice things about this guide is just how interactive it is. This guide goes and breaks down on dozens and dozens of different common chemicals that you're going to see in the industrial spaces. And it lets you know, are you talking about foot traffic? Do you have forklift traffic? Is this a truck loading zone? And it breaks down each system by what kind of traffic can it tolerate? What kind of system do you have to install? And the interactive part is when you go to the website and you go to the marketing page and you download this document, it's interactive to the point where you click on the button and it opens up the system information sheet for that product. So it will tell you about the full aggregate filled coating system or a neat coat system if it's a neat or a fabric reinforced system. Every one of those are linked right there to it. So there's no guessing. There's no hunting around. You don't have to know how to maneuver the website. Just click on that and it takes you right to the sheet that gives a description of what coatings are needed and how to order and generally install that system. Yeah. So if you're a specifier and you're out there and you're working on secondary containment systems, you should use this guide as it'll give you everything you need to know to write a secondary containment specification. That's the Simstone Selector Guide by Carboline at www.carboline.com.
When we're looking at UV exposure, it's the QUV cabinet and it's uh, an accelerated test. But then sometimes what we do is we mix that with another one of our tests, it's salt fog or other things like that, and you get into cyclic testing. But this salt fog testing is another one that is very important when it comes to atmospheric service. That's right. When you get into the salt fog, that lets you know how is it going to perform not only when it gets wet and then the sun comes back out and it beats on it, dries it out, you end up with pockets of concentrated contaminants that can attack at different rates. So you have those deposits forming on it. You have it going cyclically so that you can get it wet, dry it out with the light, get it wet, dry it out with the light. And in many of these tests, there's actually deliberately a scribe or a defect put into the coating system where you cut it and you measure how good does this system do of keeping it from spreading from the point of, of the damage. You know, I think we've all seen it where you, you get a little scratch you start with, whether it's a little rock chip on your car mm-hmm. or, you know, on a handrail and you watch the corrosion over the years spread. The more snow or rain that lands on it or, you know, if you're in an area that uses de-icing chemicals, All of those are going to affect it and it causes that rust to dig further underneath the edge of the coating and the further it goes, it keeps moving it and it keeps expanding it more and more. So there's a way to measure that Mm -hmm. and that is in these tests that we do. We do a scribe and then you measure at the end of the test, how far did it go past the cut that you made? Yeah, another one that we actually have to do, and this seems, this we're going to do this no matter what type of coating it is, and, and it seems so simplistic, but the coating can't protect the steel, substrate, concrete if it doesn't stick to it. So we have to measure for adhesion. So the adhesion factors what's deemed as good. We, we had a whole episode talking about minimum acceptable adhesion levels, but really what you want to look at is that what, what's considered a good number changes depending upon the technology that you are testing. So what's good for an epoxy isn't necessarily what's good for a urethane and so on. Right, right. And then you get into some really specialty things that help to modify those numbers. If you have an area that has, you know, if you're painting over copper or if you're painting over stainless steel is another one. Frequently, you will add a primer that's going to help it. Even that primer's number may not be the same as it is on other substrates, but it brings it up to those levels that give it an acceptable value to be able to help keep adhesion on the surface. If we're going to talk about the most simple ones, I've always loved the bend test. The mandrel bend test? The mandrel bend test. Yeah. It's just, you know, the, the idea of putting a coat of paint onto a thin steel panel and then bend it. Mm-hmm. Just see what happens. You know, who was the person who got paid to do that the first time? I want to see if this is going to work. Oh, yep, that worked. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and this is very important to know what kind of abuse yeah. the coating will take because if you know that it can handle that bin, one of the nice things that's interesting about that particular test is they don't actually prepare that panel very well. No. So it is a low adhesion situation to begin with, and then you bend it around a pre-described uh, circumference of a rod. And what happens is it once it pops off, that's failure. Well, you're, you're putting it to the extreme because you don't even have a good blast profile or a good surface profile. And as you've heard, if you've listened to this show to even one episode, you know that you have to have a good blast profile in order to have the best adhesion. So when you're doing this test, you are really putting the coating through the extremes that it probably won't see in real life. Right. Okay. I got another one for you. All right. What would you call it if I took a panel, 
spread it out. I put my paint on it, let it dry, and then I hit it with a hammer. Well, I would call that an impact test. Now, let's go the next step. What about if I hold it up, I flip the panel over, and I hit it on the back? The reverse impact. Oh, reverse impact. Yeah. Sorry, it's early in the week still. (laughs) Those are both tests that we do on the coatings. How well does it sustain a direct impact from the painted side? How well does it tolerate one from the backside? Does it cause it to pop off and fail? And then it's measured. What kind of impact was done? And there's a whole mechanism that it runs through on that. So it's a standardized process. But honestly, the first guy probably did it with a ball paint hammer. Yeah. I mean, now there's like this whole contraption that you, uh, you have a little weight that you lift up and it measures it. And as you lift up and drop it, then it, it hits and it gives you an exact PSI. Yeah. For, yeah, for that, that impact. One thing that I kind of want to go back for just a second, because you're talking about the simplicity of tests. We left out the very most simple weathering test that there is. We talked about the QUV. We talked about salt fog. We talked about cyclic testing. We didn't talk about what a lot of people do, which is Florida testing. They put the panels outside in Florida. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) That's it. And you come back and it's not accelerated. It is an actual real life test. So you'll see from Carboline, a lot of uh, what we call Midwest weathering because we're in the Midwest. That's right. <laughs> we do the same thing. We put it on the same setup and we put it out in the parking lot. Yeah. And what's funny about those, and, and then you've probably seen that contraption, and I'll throw the picture up here, is when we talk about our zinc-rich coatings, so these things go on racks, right? They have a rack. It's like bleachers for paint. Yeah. A lot of the times, these racks are galvanized metal, 99. 9% of the time. Well, uh, there was a, a weather study that happened right around the time I was born, to be perfectly honest, with Carbo Zinc 11 uh, in, in the Florida sun. And, and what's crazy about how well it did in the weathering is the galvanized racks had to be replaced before the panels failed testing. That's right. You also hear from time to time about those panel racks in Florida that a hurricane came in and wiped out a whole yard and you're just finding panels floating around, which now I guess we've uh, simulated some immersion testing at the same time. Right. Real life hurricane testing. Yeah. So without getting too deep, we really just kind of wanted to scrape the surface at the kind of tests that we do when we're looking at a coding for this type of service. Know that it's all very real world and it's very logical. These tests, uh, a lot of the times attempt to mimic real world, but they do a really bad not bad job, but they, there's limits, there's limits. And it's hard to maintain all the variables. I mean, I don't want to go full Jurassic park with the water on the back of the hand and chaos theory, but you can't really replace that real worldness in a standardized test just by the nature of the test it is standardized and there are things that happen at its standard length and measure so uh, really they give us a good measurement of how to compare similar coatings to harken back to the beginning of the podcast they give us a great benchmark to work from so with that i'm jack that's paul and we'll see you guys next week and so for the Carbaline Tech Service Podcast, I'm Paul. And I'm Jack. And we'd like, like to, to thank, thank you for your support. support.